And and then and he said, but that's you know that's the proof that white people don't have privilege. I was like, that's <laughs> like, <laughs> We all know there are white people who have horrible lives. White people who struggled. We all understand that. We all understand that. But they, I don't know. They're stuck in this world where they they believe that if you defend a black man or defend a black woman or defend the struggle of the black man in America, that means that white people can't have problems. And me, 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 me. They all go back to me, 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 me. You know, it's like yeah, we get it, we get it. R.A., can you hear me? Yeah, is this just audio or is it photo too? You need to see me because I, I don't see you. Uh, you, you won't. You gonna... Well, you won't be able to see me because the camera's being used by the stream. But if I could see you, that'd be great. Oh, beautiful! Hold on, I can I can mirror myself because it's kind of awkward just talking to a blank screen. I don't know how Twitch works, man. Is this, is it on already? Is it going? Uh, we are live right now. Uh, so there's some people some people watching. Um, they are saying hello. Someone said based. Uh, that's that's Twitch speak for good. Uh, that means... Yeah, I, you know, I'm the old man, but I know what based is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, though, right? Sorry, say it again. You just cut out. We can't, we can't curse, right? Or we're just not allowed to say saltines. <laughs> <laughs> You're already playing with fire. It's wild. Hey, I, I'm not the one who made up the rules. It's just uh, the everything changed. Okay. Let's, let's just say that. <laughs> not to say or, or oh, you can, you, no, no, you, you can say fuck. You can even say cunt. It's weird. You, you can say that, but uh, you cannot uh, refer to uh, people as uh, saltines uh, for for any reason. You can you can talk about how you enjoy having soup with crackers. You can say that. Uh, that's that's totally fine. But uh, be careful, because yeah. uh, when they were talking about a boxing jab, uh, Larry Holmes boxing jab. They uh, censored that and was like, CBC recommends, you know, they thought it was some kind of uh, COVID talk. And it was like, no, we're talking about a boxing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How are you doing? How is everything? All is blessed. I've really uh, been having an amazing month. It's, uh, you know, the greatest Christmas of my life. It's uh, I went through a little dark period, October, November, and uh, I've been just snapped out of it i've been great and my kids are beautiful my daughter's gonna be six next month my daughter my son's gonna be five in february and and i'm i'm in a like a amazingly positive uh mindset you know but i'm also the up and down swinger so you know who the hell knows how long that lasts you know so (laughs) fucking hell yeah that sounds awesome yeah good for you that's that's all you can ask for mind is a good place yeah it's it's awesome beautiful Um, how you doing everybody What's up, Twitch? <laughs> and, and I'm bad with technology, so like 9,000 screens came up and voices were everywhere, and I, and I just, you know, didn't know what to do. Got rid of it. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to try again one day. You should come. Everyone would love you here. I mean, you've already got like a whole bunch of fans on the left after uh, the whole, you know, incident that took place. But, you know, we can, we can talk about that later. I actually, I, I've got like... It's- on either side, the left and right, when they both, the left will listen to my records back. I hate him. The right will listen to my, I hate him. You know, every, every way, you know. <laughs> that's what happens when you, I'm like, kind of like the Susan Sarandon of rap, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I wanted to, okay. I, I obviously, I know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I have like, I don't know, 5,000 questions I have to ask you about, about the history. Hey. 
see me? Can, can they see my bow and arrow? They see it all. Every, oh, every, okay. every pixel. <laughs> yeah, keep on. So you got a million questions. It's all love. It's all love. Okay. First, uh, first question is what got you into hip hop? Well, Long Island, uh, when I was a kid, it, it exploded, you know, and my father got me a fat boys tape as a joke because I was a fat kid. And uh, you know, I told this story before because obviously that question has been asked before. But and then uh, there was a kid in my neighborhood who, who blew up a, a shopping center window with a with a blockbuster, you know, when I caught a stick of dynamite. Uh, and I was like, yo, you're crazy. And we ran away. And his name was Human Beatbox Bob Beatbox. And so we we uh. We just kept rapping together, and I, I got better than everybody in my neighborhood and got better than everybody around, you know, on the amateur level at the time. And then the professionals were blowing up, the older kids. There was Eric Sermon and PMD, you know, EPMD and Diamond Shell and Biz. And, you know, Long Island had like this – just everybody blew up. There was like Rock Kim was the most infamous rapper on the planet, and, and Public Enemy was coming out of uh, Hempstead and Roosevelt, I believe, and, and – uh, it was like just De La Soul was the year after that. And Prince Paul was in Stetson Sonic. So there was just all this uh, hip hop taking over the planet. Like like we were like the best on the planet at the time. So, so uh, you know, I, I ended up being better than all the amateurs in the area. Then I started going for the titles of, of some of the professionals. I, I met a couple guys with deals. Too Nice. We were going back and the group was called Too Nice. Glenn Gibbs and, and DJ Quick, not the West Coast DJ Quick. And that's how I started rapping, just being on the scene, you know. Were you making uh, mixtapes or were you like uh, part of uh, like the battle scene too? Or did you just get discovered? Yeah, it wasn't mixtapes. They didn't really have mixtapes. That was more like a 90s thing. You know, this was I was a fat kid in the 80s and uh, it was more go. They'd they drive you to the neighborhood or, or you'd ride your bike to a neighborhood or you take a train to a neighborhood in the city or and it was the battle scene. You'd just go on the block and you'd rap against people. That that was what the scene was. It wasn't like, I'm going to make this mixtape because most people didn't really have access to figure out how to even make songs. You know, we'd, we'd kind of like rap into our tape recorder with a microphone and it wasn't competitive with like a professional record. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Until we mm-hmm. found you'd have to look around for producers or try to hopefully meet somebody that produced or this and that. It was a different game back then. You know, now you got everything at your fingertips, find a hundred producers in one second online, you know, and you find hundred producers in one town online, you know, (laughs) so it was a different game, you know, a different game. Total side note, but like, what do you think about that with like people getting discovered on SoundCloud on a daily basis? Do you think it's made the industry better? You know, it always has ups and downs because Yes, because some amazingly great MCs have been discovered and, and get to make a living and get to grow a fan base. So that's a beautiful thing. And then the flip side of that is when things are oversaturated, some artists aren't getting heard because uh, and they can make amazing music. But I forgot what the number is, but it's what, like 100,000 new songs uploaded a day on SoundCloud. So like. You know, I, I know this R&B singer in Sweden who really made a couple really great songs and uh you know, she posts it up and a thousand people might hear it, you know, and it's like, damn, you know, like, so, so but when something does get through, it, it, I don't know, it's just, uh, there's ups and downs. The ups is that there are stuff, there's a lot of stuff getting heard that wouldn't have gotten heard. That's an up, you know? So let me turn my heat down a little bit. Yeah, Let's yeah, no worries. Okay. Well, I, I was going to, I was going to say, I, I have a, I have a really hard question. So I, I actually wanted to see your facial reaction for it. 
I'm not afraid of any of your questions. <laughs> All right, question. Uh, who, who's the who's the best? Well, I was going to say, who's the best member of the Wu Tang? Well, I don't know about best, but I think the most charismatic commercial is Method Man. You know, he's great on stage. You know, he, he the women find him attractive. Guys think he's cool. He's got a dope voice, dope flow. He's a good actor. Um, you know, he's definitely the most commercial, and he's very, very good and consistent. He's 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 still good, really good lyrically today. You know, um, so and my favorite on a personal note, like I think somebody uh, who I really hold dear to my heart is Master Killer because he's the realest dude that you'll ever meet in your life. Master Killer. You know, he's a tough guy, but never talks that tough talk and is just super respectful. Almost like when I went out to Japan, how everybody's just super respectful, you know, but if you mess with the wrong person, it's like. Master mm-hmm. Killer reminds me of that. It's just like so respectful. Just, just don't, don't go the wrong way with Master Killer, you know. So I love him and Deck. I love personally. I, you know, I love so many of the guys. You know, I'm really close to a lot of the Wu members. So, uh, and, and you God, I just became close with his son um, uh, Intel. I did a record with him that's out right now called The Gospel. Check that out. Killer Priest is an, an affiliate, which I think is probably one of the most lyrical human beings that ever lived. So he's a Wu-Tang affiliate, Killer Priest, uh, and he's he's hilarious because his lyricism is so serious and so, you know, uh, from biblical to to painting pictures. And then when you talk to him, he's like a total funny clown, hilarious, one of the funniest people you ever met in your life. So so there's a lot of texture to that MC Killer Priest. Did you ever have um, the honor of meeting ODB back when he was around? I'm actually in, I, I believe it's his final video ever. It was Master Killer Rizza and ODB did a song together called Old Man. And if you go watch the video, uh, they, they gave me like a 70s look and, and uh, gave me like oh, a no old way. 70s. And I'm in the video. They had me flipping hamburgers. I had uh, Wu-Tang sauce and I had all the ladies <laughs> around me. I, I, I believe that's ODB's final video. You know, it was right, right before he passed, you know. Was he as funny in person? He's a wild man, you know, ODB was wild. Even when I didn't know him, know him, I'd see him around and he'd be going crazy. Like there was a place in New York called the tunnel where all of us went. Like every MC that was anybody was up in the tunnel, you know, name somebody from Tupac to Biggie to to Naughty by Nature to Red. It don't matter who it was. They was up in the tunnel. Everybody was there. And uh, I remember, being, you know, we we're all going into the tunnel and and. ODB's front line trying to you know fight the PA like, like he was just wild everywhere he went you know and there's an infamous story uh Dante Ross would tell it better though but like he was supposed to have a, a, a session with LL Cool J at Chung King Studios it's a legendary New York studio and uh LL didn't show up or LL whatever it was or maybe LL took too long and ODB couldn't get into the studio. It was something like that. But he took all of LL's plaques off the wall, supposedly, and made a pile <laughs> of people over them. Go Dante Ross about it. He was there, I think, you know. So so if, I, if I'm mistelling the story, Dante, will tell you, he'll tell you the real story, you know. Wow. Um, is it true that you've worked with Biggie? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've, done, that, I've done two records with Biggie. How, yeah. how did that come about? Well, we came up together, you know, we, we were um, both teenagers, you know, and he had uh, he was just getting ready to put out a song. I think it was the Who's the Man soundtrack and, uh, the you know, Party and Bullshit was the name of the song. And uh, 
I, I had just um, had a nine bid in uh, nine you know, bid in war. This is the proof and Caleb Maulpeen and Joke's son Hinkler were dearly missing. Oh, sorry, you can you hear heard? those? Yeah, sorry, those are those are donations going on in the background. I'll I'll try to turn those notifications <laughs> off. You cheap bastards, give this guy some more money. What, what do I got to do? <laughs> sorry, oh, keep going. Stream. I don't know what I'm allowed to say on this stream. But give the guy some more donations, you know. I don't know. But, uh, maybe if he has some white supremacist right-wing talking points. <laughs> that's where the, that's where the money's at right now. <laughs> Oh man! Come on, you can't see it. You can't see it, but I'm turning red like a tomato right now in real time. Yeah. So, so why do they call you the Surfs if you're one person? Oh, because there's two of us. There's two of us that do it on the YouTubes, but I'm the only one who streams. The other guy doesn't like to uh, do live stuff. uh, I got you. So, kind of like the young Surfs, the young Turks, and yeah, exactly. He said exactly. Yeah. I, well, why are you surfers or something? I, I don't understand. It's, you know, it looked like the Smurfs logo. Sounds like uh... Uh, it was. It was a play on us being plebs. You know, basically, there's lords and there's serfs, and, and we're the serfs. That's where it came about from. Oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. All right. All right. Boom, boom, boom. Anything um, else? Oh yes, right. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. On, on that same topic, I wanted to ask, like, what was it like if you were in the middle of the scene and you're actually like cutting tracks with Biggie when the whole East Coast West Coast stuff was going down? Because like I'm, I'm watching that whole thing as like you know a white kid in Canada loving obviously like all this West Coast music at first, and then someone's like, oh, okay, you, you like Snoop and you like Tupac and all that stuff. You got to start listening to all this stuff out of New York because this stuff is crazy. And then I was like, oh, I love it all. But then the feud started. Like, what was it like being in the middle of that on the other side? It was still peace at the time. Hmm. Uh, when I was big, it was still peace because big, you know, uh, the last studio session I had with big, he had just had the one big record out, the Juicy song and Unbelievable hmm. was the B-side, you know, Unbelievable, but, yeah, but yeah. Juicy was blown up on the radio and he wasn't the giant of hip hop yet. He was just like, wow, people love big. They were waiting to see what he had coming, but his biggest song was Juicy and the album wasn't out yet and he wasn't a giant yet. So, uh, you know, all that hatred and, you know, aggression and anger comes out after everybody's a giant. There's so much ego involved in East and West and we're the best. And, you know, Diddy got the best team and, and Suge Knight got the best team and this and that. And it's uh, so it wasn't angry yet, you know, or at least I didn't see that side of it yet. But I started hearing more about it a little bit later. I was more big was still you know, had the biggest record in New York and he didn't even really have money yet. You know, it was like, so, and then a couple of years later, he's on Michael Jackson or not even maybe a year later, a couple of months. I don't know. It was not long after he's on Michael Jackson's album. He's on, you know, he's all over the place. He really blew up. Cause we, we got to always remember big was only 25 years old when he passed, you know, mm-hmm. you know, these guys four years old, 24 years old, Pac was 25. So I always bring that up every interview. Like these were kids, man. You know, so yeah. yeah, yeah. People don't think about it like that. Did you? Did you? Once it actually started getting more violent and stuff, did you feel that this was just the direction that hip hop was going to go in? Like that it was like you know, because there's always been that clash to me between uh, like you know what was considered gangster rap and what was considered like the conscious hip hop, right? And a lot of that was coming out of New York. But then at that point, I felt like everything started accelerating. Like Suge Knight uh, and Death Row were putting out so much uh, animosity. Uh, towards like the East Coast, I think, that, I think that it was just publicized more and marketed because it was a selling point. You know, okay. people like beat. 
So I think the media pushed that, you know, Vibe magazine, uh, West versus East. And, you know, I think it became a media topic because there was always, you know, when you got young kids and they're, they're clashing ego wise, there's always going to be people being run out with guns and stuff. You know, like I tell the story when N.W.A. tried to come to Harlem, you know, uh, I think 89, maybe. And, and, you know, all the real life gangsters said, you guys ain't gangsters. And they ran them out, ran them out of Harlem, you know, ran them off the state, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, they didn't go east versus west. It was just like, you know, a young kid with an ego challenging other young kids with egos. It's, it's, it is what it is, you know? So I don't know. I think the media definitely helped blow the hole. And plus, here's the thing too, though. The 90s, hip-hop became, became marketed to the whole planet. You know, the 80s, True. hip-hop was still kind of marketed to hip-hop heads. And, the, you know, you had the commercial music was... You know, you'd have like Young MC for MTV and, and, and Vanilla Ice in 1990 and MC Hammer in 1990 and like that kind of thing. But like hip hop was Karis One, Kane, Rakim, Cool G Rap. That was all, you know, marketed to to the hip hop heads, you know, and it go gold off of people who loved hip hop where now it's kind of marketed to everybody. And you got to make the pop song for crossover people that don't even care about the culture. You know, it's that kind of world. So um, in the 90s, so much money was involved that everybody, even the the underground rappers were able to sell, to become big superstars and become mainstream as could be. Like we were mentioning Wu-Tang. If you really listen to Wu-Tang's album, that's an underground hip hop album. But Loud Records, was had faith in it and took it and promoted it in the West Coast, promoted it in the East Coast, put you know went and did everything. And uh, are you talking about Thirty Six Chambers? Yeah, and, and yeah. not even just that. Uh, the first single, uh, you know, "Protect Your Neck," mm-hmm. and, and the MHOD man on his flip side. Like I mean, Rifkin worked and worked those records. And then his whole thing, then Mob Deep in '95 was like that's the most street record you ever heard. Shook ones. That's like a legitimate like street record. So hip hop street music was being played at the same level as pop music in the 90s because it was so marketable, you know. So Interesting. Um, most people, I think, when they think of like, uh, you know, really famous uh, white MCs, obviously they'll, they'll mention uh, like Eminem uh, and they might mention like LP and stuff like that. I was curious, what was it like for you? Uh, I guess growing up in the scene and becoming as popular as you did uh, and having that racial element. Because I remember when I watched the documentary on how difficult it was for Dre to convince everyone to sign Eminem in the first place because there was kind of this idea that like marketing a white MC wouldn't sell as well to big record executives. Yeah, I don't, I don't really believe that story. Really? <laughs> Wild. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, I got to listen to the interview for myself. But, you know, PR is PR. They have to, you know, you know, you know, I think more what it could have been was Dre at the time was not having he was on a down downslide. He hit a little dry spot. He had like all these big records. And then he did a couple records that missed in a row. And he had the firm album which was like Foxy Brown and Nas and AZ and like, you know, all the big and all the big rappers were on it and, you know, big production by Dre and Trackmasters and the album didn't do near to what anybody thought it was going to be. So that could have been more of an issue, you know? Mm-hmm. But for you, what was it like? Did you, did you ever feel that that was uh, 
did you feel like you were uh, an outsider working on something that was like you know considered to be like black culture, or uh, is it just a different experience of you are again growing up in you know Long Island? No, well the thing is, I I started young, and I was accepted young. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'd go to house parties, I would battle everybody in the party. I'd be the only white face, all good, boom, boom, boom. You know, so the black community embraced music you know so if you were able to do music and they messed with your music they messed with you it, you know the the race thing kind of came in where like white people would be like you're not supposed to be doing that what do you think you're <laughs> it came from white people <laughs> but the the black folks was always like yo he could spit yo that's you know they, if you can do the mute like look at tina marie the singer like you know she could sing you know, she was one of great uh, soul singers with, with, with James and everything. And they embraced her like, you know, nobody even talks color with her. So it's uh, that was more like the community was was like, you know, if you if you could hang and do it, they rocked with you. But like I said, you, you go, you go. Then the white folks come in. You you want to be black. You Christ. And still. You know, after doing the the the, the right wing YouTube thing last week uh, uh, and losing my temper, they all wigger, wigger. Oh, geez, back in 1985, these <laughs> want to be black. <laughs> you you suck black this and that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Wait, that's that's all the, that's all that's all the comments that are being levied at you. Yeah, from from that podcast, from from after I lost my temper on the pool oh, wow. thing, they're all like, oh, but more than that, it's like put the the. the you know, they they go, they, they think I'm Jewish, so they say put them in the oven. Like any, every horrible thing you could imagine, you know. So it's it's like that's what happens when you when you when you you know deal with those people. It's yeah. kind of weird. Um, I won't, I, I won't, I won't open that up just yet because uh, I still have a couple of last questions I want to ask you about uh, growing up in that scene. What was some of the best um, MCs you ever got a chance to work with, and some of the best musical experiences you had? Well, you know, I worked with all the 90s greats that everybody like really, you know, looks up to from the 90s. But my biggest great my greatest moments is always my idols, the guys I looked up to. So when uh, when I met Rakim and and one time he called me and told me uh, I met him in person, but he called me to tell me he loves what I'm doing for the coach. He like appreciates me so much. And Coogee Rap texted me to say, like. He it, like he can't believe some of the lyrical things on my abilities. And he looks, you know, like looks and I'm like, yo, you look up to what I like. I I worshipped you, man. I still worship him. Like G-Rap to me is the greatest lyricist that ever lived out of all music. And uh, Chuck D, like all of my idols just and even like Raheem from the Furious Five. The, you know, he's like, hey, I, you know, all, all the greats, Grandmaster Kaz, just all of those guys, the guys, Master Ace. The guys that I came up on, um, really, uh, Kane. Kane has me as one of his favorite rappers. You know, he made a, like a little picture with all his favorite rappers, and I was on the. I was like, That's wild. So every person that I looked up to in music um, showed me love, like everyone, and those are the greatest moments. You know, a lot of people ask me about like the more like the famous '90s people because they came up on that. Uh, but that didn't mean as much because those were my peers, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind, those were my peers. The other guys were my, my idols that I looked up to, you know? So, yeah. Um, did you, um, I, I just have a couple questions about, uh, what is it? Have you ever met Del the funky homo sapien? Did you ever do music with him? 
what Dell is a guy. I'm, we both know who each other, each other are. We both pass through the same venues. Like if, if I'm doing a show, they'd be like, ah, Dell's here next week. Or, or they'd be like, Dell was here last month. You know, like, and we know some of the same people, but me and Dell never connected. But I, I mean, I, it's, it's funny. It's like one of the rappers that I never connected with. But there's so many others from that era that, that are like almost every one of them, you know. So... What um what is the scene like now for you being kind of like an old school legend? Uh, is there still like do you find that there's a lot of respect uh, for the old school in like modern music uh, or is are is everyone into SoundCloud rappers and people with face tattoos kind of stuff? Well, everybody has their their separate audiences, you know. So I have a huge following still, and my last album went like number three in in the UK, like on on the pop charts. And um, went number nine in Canada. It was the number 22. This is with like, all I have is my computer and my distributor guy, Devin. And like, I'll post a video, tweet a little bit. Like, we don't have any marketing campaign or marketing team. We It's us filming videos, posting them. And uh, we had the 22 biggest selling album when it dropped worldwide uh, on Billboard. Um, and that's all for just doing our own thing with nothing like we really have no no machine you know uh and doing interviews like this hey will you do it yeah sure i mean that's that's just um, i make myself available i do hundreds of, well before covid you know i'll be doing hundreds again eventually but like i do hundreds of shows a year normally and just stay in people's neighborhoods stay in people's countries stay around the world keep showing your face keep doing you know uh uh promoting keep pushing up little music videos and uh it stays uh keeps you keeps them wanting more and you do good every time out i mean it's honestly it's been three decades i, I and, and i started as a little kid but it's been three decades of me being able to not do anything but rap i have i haven't had a job haven't needed a job i, I have income coming in from from hip-hop there's been dry spots you know after i went through the through the whole label thing in the 90s where i was the bad guy and stuff uh i was you know struggling but then but then you know raucous put me on and started put me on stages and then i started touring uh europe again and boom boom it all opened up we were pressing up our own vinyls independently and you know we always you know to make a three-decade career out of what you love and what you wanted to do we kind of want in life, you know, so. Yeah, I was going to say that's a dream, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I'll obviously at the very end, like do some more plugs, but that might be a good time to tell everyone where could they where could they find your stuff if they're watching and they want to. All My Heroes Are Dead is my latest album. There's videos all over the place, but there's also, you know, Apple, you know, Amazon, you know, wherever you want to go, wherever you usually get your set. Um, Name all the famous young people stuff. Uh, name where do you listen to music, Serps? Uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, podcast. <laughs> but no, don't. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to promote Spotify because aren't they motherfuckers who don't give you like any money? Don't you get like a, a breadcrumb every day? You know. I I know people can see here's there's two sides of that story. People complain about that. That's the same thing as what we were talking about. Like is SoundCloud ruining it? People mm-hmm. say is by ruining it but um you know the more people around the world that that listen to your music the more fans you get mm-hmm. and the more you book shows and, and and grow off of that and make money so yeah maybe they got to listen to it and you didn't make a lot off of them listening to it that one time 
But um, they're memorizing your song, they're learning your personality, they're buying your merchandise, they're connecting with you. So it's almost like uh, it's almost like if you do a magazine cover, you know, I, I remember there was a time where Kanye said we should get paid for our magazine covers because the magazines are selling because we're on them, which I understood his point. But on the flip side is you, you, you know, they put you on the cover, the whole world sees that cover and it's a big deal. So it's helping everybody, you know, same thing with going on talk shows, you know, they don't really get paid big to do, to go on Johnny Carson back in the day or the Tonight Show or anything, but you do it because you got a new movie out, you got a new album out, you got a new something out, a new book out. So, mm-hmm. so that's how I look at, at some, some of those Spotify's, if the numbers go up, that's a good thing, you know, even if, if uh, and hey, if they want to fix it and pay me a whole lot more for playing my shit, uh, hey, I'm cool with that too. I'm not going <laughs> to stop. <laughs> that's that's kind of what uh, Run the Jewels did, right? They gave away all their albums for free. And then, uh, you know, if you love the music, go see them live kind of idea. Or they said you could, you could listen to the album free, but if you love it, buy it. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's people go. wanted to support it because it was so great and it had such a me- message that so many people could relate to. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 what happened. They, uh, yeah. My man LP, I know LP too since uh, before, before. You know, um, he was, uh, he wasn't even LP yet. He was, uh, his name was Roughneck. Oh, wow. And, that is uh, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I was in North Carolina. This guy, Lou, was like, yo, there's a there's a there's a white boy out in 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 uh, New York, and you live in New York. I don't know why you you guys should connect. And I think uh, LP was working at a, at a record store, and uh, so I went to LP's house, and uh, we and he asked me to do a cameo in his company Flow video and all of this stuff. And uh, I was actually on the first, I don't know if it was the first Company Flow album, but I was on Fun Crusher, the big classic one that people love, the indie classic Fun Crusher. I was on that album. I was in the studio in the other room, and LP was like, yo, since I got you here, can you just, can you do something on my album? Wow. So I said, sure. So I just went in the booth and started going, yo, fuck these. Like, I just started cursing everybody out and going crazy. I haven't heard the song in 20-something years, but I know it. a lot of times people are like, yo, you went off when you were screaming at everyone on, on Fun Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> You should probably look it up in this interview. Yeah, I'm on Crusher Plus LP. Out, uh, well, it's not LP. It's just not, it's LP and, and Just, right? Nice. Yeah. I know you're um, you're located in Europe. Did the uh, did the touring and the music scene like being able to play shows are they as affected there as uh, we were over here? Because like live music just shut down completely. Yeah, the whole world's screwy, man. The whole mm. world's screwy, you know. And uh, what happened was. Uh, I got, you know, um, the blue states was all shut down still. And, and I got this guy who said, hey, uh, I could throw you in all the red states that are open right now. Uh, will that hurt you politically or career wise if you're playing shows? And I said, no, because the show is not going to be a bunch of rednecks. It's going to be like, you know, hip hop head one, yeah. one people that want to be, you know, it don't matter. Like, I, I have no discrimination against a state, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and it was all amazing people. So I did about 50-something shows. You know, Well, no, no. The first one was about 20-something shows. And it was mainly all red. And uh, it was awesome, you know. And um, the states were red, but not the shows. The shows were hip-hop heads. But, um, and then that was successful. So they said, let's do another one right away. And I did another 20-something. And that's when the blue states started opening. So, so there were some blue states 
and some red states, so it was mixed. So I was able to do about Double 55 shows, right. not 50 shows. Lance, uh, your trigger phrase is nice and your CIA handler is losing their shit right now just watching you continue to interview R.A. Did, did you catch yeah. that one? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's the question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I guess I gotta throw this out there. How did uh, the Tim Pool interview happen? Did, did they reach out to you? I know he's probably a fan of yours from back in the day. You were on the Tony Hawk soundtrack. He's a skater boy. Was uh, was that the connection? No. Luke Wadowski, who uh, I was a fan of. Well, we are changed his website. And we were friends. He came out to New York. I mean, he came out to Berlin. He interviewed me when he was in Berlin. And he was always on top of stuff. And... Uh, you know, he come out to New York. I introduced him to my journalist friend, Lindsay Snell. We had dinner with my stepmother. And then Anna Polko was like this anarchy in, in uh, Al Capulco event. And uh, his boy hit me up, Jeff Berwin, I think, or Berwick. And, and they said, hey, can you make it to this event? Short notice. We'll give you so-and-so. So they paid me to do like a 15-minute set. And it was a really nice, fun time. And, and in fact, John McAfee was there. Before they before they put him in jail, yeah, it was you know it was right before COVID, but um, so I became cool with Luke, and uh, he hit me up in my inbox like, "Yo, come on the Tim Pool show." I said, "Yeah, sure, no problem," you know. So did you I know who Tim Pool was? I've I seen him in videos with Luke on We Are Change channel before, like uh, Tim had a name for himself, really. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Oh, cool. it's it's Luke's boy, cool, you know, whatever." And I, I seen a couple videos, and the the one I, I saw, I was like, oh, it's a little bootlickerish, but I didn't go like into the whole catalog or nothing. I said, oh yeah, you know. And then when I was there, they had me up in a hotel, and I started watching the YouTube videos, and because uh, the the producer of the show, I forgot her name, she she was sweet uh, to me, uh, but she said, hey, watch Tim's show at ten today, or this and that. I said, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So, but then I started back looking at some of the other stuff and, and there's a lot of stuff I disagreed with on it. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, the thing people, you know, they say, Oh, our race selling out to, to, to get a, you know, another fan base of, le- I don't know what the hell they think, but the easiest thing for me to do, Tim, Tim, when I went there, Luke, we're about to go on and Luke says, Hey, this is the, uh, the 11th biggest podcast on the planet in the whole world. I said, Oh, really? Okay. You know, so, so, uh, um, yeah, he's the massive. easiest thing to do is there's things that I agree with Tim on, you know, there's a lot of topics I agree with him on, you know, internet, mm-hmm. uh, big tech overreach, you know, mandates, um, there's, well, I don't know about a lot, but there's a couple things I agree with him on, you know, so the easiest thing to do, you talk about the stuff friendly that you, that you uh, agree with, you know, but, uh, did he give you topics he, beforehand? Like before you uh, sat down? None of that. Nah, but, um. So, but then I, I had the videos I saw and I said, no, nah, we got to talk about that, you know, because I hate the fear migrant of, of critical race theory that happens out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden the whole world's scared that white children are going to hate themselves. And, and it, there's this whole thing that, that um, they just think that, uh, and, and they all do it at the same time. They don't Clean understand that room. this has been fed. They, they've been fed this, this scary uh, narrative of, you know, Black people are, you know, going to be looked at as gods and white kids are looked at as losers. And, you know, it's it's not, you know, 
So, and they all have fear and CRT at the same exact moment of time. Like, you know, they not, it's not a year ago, two years, it's all the same time because they've been fed at the same time politically. And they all start, oh yeah, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then they think that people who are scared of COVID are really stupid, but you know, uh, because they've been fed that by the media. You know, yeah, you're fed that COVID stupid because the media told you, which I understand there is um, exaggeration on certain things. There's numbers are, are, are messed with. I understand that, you know, but people are dying legitimately. Uh, um, so um, but then all of a sudden, you know, you're you live in a bubble if if you have a concern for COVID, but you don't live in a bubble if you're scared of CRT all at the same exact time. <laughs> like all these all of a sudden afraid of CRT coming to get your white kids, you know, your white <laughs> They're going to hate themselves. Oh, you know, let, let, how much suicide is uh, critical race theory uh, causing in us, in our children? I'm sure they're all, oh, I'm a white person. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think the white kids are fine, you know. Well, the thing that's <laughs> wild to me about that is like it's not even taught in elementary schools. Like the, the entire the entire idea that like it's going to be taught to your kids. I was like, no, it's not. That's like it's an advanced course for people who are, who are trying to get law degrees. It, it, it has nothing to do with elementary school. Like I think right wingers just did a really good job of getting everyone afraid about that. Yeah, the fear mongering, you know, but they fear monger all of them. The left gets fear mongered, the right gets fear mongered, and they all go into their little shell of fear and they're all scared. And and the problem with the, the right fear is that they they try to make you fear against a type of person, you know, or a type, you know, like with the whole 9-11 for, for 15 years after that, it was like, or 20 years after that, you know, it was like Muslims are all going to kill you. Muslims, 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 True. Muslims, you know, it's like, uh, and blacks, they've been on blacks, blacks, we've been on that forever since the beginning of the time. Blacks, blacks are bad, bad, you know? So, uh, yeah, so critical race theory is the last thing they want to have their kids hear, you know. And then, you know, they say that what it does is it affects uh, black children are going to believe that they can't make it out of the community because white people are so above them that they just can't make it. That's what black children. So they, they feed this to, to everybody. And then uh, they start using that like, oh, you. You're hurting black children. You don't care if they hurt black children. You don't care. Like, because when they kill black children, when cops kill black children, you, you root the cops on. So why are you acting like you care about the black kids that are here in CRT? So, you know. I like, so he took that video down uh, and then put it uh, behind a paywall on his website. Um, but then there was a copy on Rumble. So when I originally watched it, and most people, I think, who were watching it uh, for the first time, we only saw about, like, 20 minutes in the middle, just around where, like, you know, the things are at their, like, most heated. Um, so yesterday I started watching uh, the whole thing from the beginning because, like, I, like, I wanted to start taking notes on how the whole thing went down. And for, like, the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, you're very um, cordial. Like he, you, you're you're very friendly. Uh, he's he's clearly talking about like a handful of topics, or it goes in a handful of directions that I thought, like you know, uh, most people would have like you know been like, this is something that's trying to provoke me or make something antagonistic or something. I don't know. Uh, but then uh, you kind of reach that that point where. Um, you couldn't really find common ground anymore, I think. Because, like, when they were talking about gun gun rights and gun laws, you you were, you know, like, and the same thing with me. Like, I think people have the right to, to bear arms. And then Tim Pool will be like, yeah, I think people have the right to own nukes. And, and then, like, I, I don't know, I don't know how you, uh, like, how you did that for the first little bit, just to keep everything, like, on friendly terms. Um, 
But then it was kind of like around the, I took some notes on this. Yeah, the 36 minute mark, uh, where you started talking about specific, um, uh, killings and then things moved on uh, to the uh, Ahmed Arbery case, and uh, that that's where I think the conversation kind of turned, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, the thing is, gun rights. You know, I, I'm a little bit on the left on that side. I believe in the gun, you know, gun rights and all that stuff. I, but but you know, I don't know. I you know, I, background checks. There's the, the, all different. I'm not. I'm not what adamant. Oh, think is the gun. Another. But the thing is, tinfoil. I, I do gun rights you know so and you know the fear of oh they're taking our guns you know th- th- there's a little truth to that sometimes you know because uh there is a, a some people that want to take your guns it's true you know and some people would believe that's a good thing because look at america with this gun nation but you know my thing is you firstly get the guns out the streets somehow you know but um uh but yeah, but then he starts going overboard saying, uh, yeah, I think they should have nuclear weapons. I think we should be allowed to have nuclear weapons. And you go, you know, I don't know about this conversation. I don't know where to take that. So you let him have his say. You go, yeah, OK. Uh, you say, I don't really you know, think that's maybe they need. And he's like, well, if you change that, you're changing the, the Constitution. I said, well, maybe you change the Constitution. And if you think, you know, we should give regular crazy people a nuclear weapon just because if they could afford it, you know. So, uh, yeah. And then, and then I brought up, I brought up critical race theory and, and he started, you know, oh, they gave a white person a tail or something. He, uh, he said the white people are the devil. And who, who are these people? It's like, and he's doing what he accuses the media of doing where like they take little parts of something and they sensationalize that one thing and pretend that's the whole package. And that's what it really is. And they'll look for one, the media will look for one moment where like somebody does something terrible and then they'll promote that terrible act. And that's, that's what it, the whole, you know, they don't look past reality. They don't try to look at reality. They look for the agenda and the, the quick little talking point moment and, and they shove it down your throat. And uh, so, yeah, it got a little crazy, got a little crazy. Yeah. How do you think things pivoted to talking about like Tim Pool's lived experience? Did, like how did, how did it evolve into that? Because it was, because he's, the thing is they kept saying, Oh, I'm a journalist. But then he would not have the facts because he brought up uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Arbery. And then, and then um, I said, well, yeah, there were other people going through the house. He wasn't. He's like, no, that's that's not true. That's not true. There weren't other people in the house. But there was. And, and you know, the owner admitted there was. And there's footage of other people in the house, you know. So so he's the journalist. I'm just the rapper. So but why is he shutting? No, there's not. There's not. There's never, go go look it up. It's it's real. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that, that's the thing. I was I knew I was dealing with something that was like only looking at one side of a, a thing and not looking for truth, you know, but they claiming to be the truth, the truth, the truth. So it uh, it was a little concerning. And, and then, um, yeah. And then we're talking about critical race theory. We're talking about the the uh, uh, murder of black people by, by uh, policemen. Mm-hmm. And so but my experience, my experience, my experience. And that's that's what. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to do if we're talking about it. But that's almost like, hey, you know, cancer is killing uh, my grandmother. And you go, but my experience is my. No, we're talking about cancer right now. Why? Mm-hmm. My, me, 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 you know. So, so, and he kept bringing it to him, 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 him about everything. Racial profiling in the airport. Me, me, me. No, no. That's why I was laughing. That's what made me laugh. Like, dude, come on. We're talking about racial profiling. You're me, me, me. Dude, like we're talking about real pro- problems. 
But there was this thing where he brought everything back to him, 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 him. So that's why I started getting laughing and laughing and, la- you know, like, come on and, and kind of. Uh, but his fans aren't don't they don't understand things. They don't understand anything. You know, they think they're smart, but they're in their little bubbles. And they think everyone else is in a bubble, but they're in that one lane bubble. They only want to hear what they want to hear. You know, did, did you find it weird that you were the one being called racist, even though you were trying to explain to him the concept of whiteness, yeah. I guess? That was a tactic. That was mm-hmm. the same tactic. Like, like I'm, I'm defending uh, people of color and brown people, and he's, you don't believe that I, ha- I'm racially profiled. You're racist. It's, it's, it's a smear tactic. It, it's, it's a, you know, it's a distraction to, to reality because he makes it about himself again. In no way anyone rational would go, oh, that's a racist thing to think. Tim, Do- Tim, Tim Pool's not. Uh, uh, racially profiled at an airport like no maybe they stop you because you're Tim Pool maybe they stop you because whatever but you're not racially profiled that, that, that's mm-hmm. a fact but you know they want to swear it's about them 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 and here's the problem too is that uh so he has um I think he has a Korean grandparent or something so mm-hmm. then he'll use that to get away with pushing kind of right right wing talking points and getting away with it, you know, like oh, okay, boom, boom, because because of this and that, and and I experienced racism, so black people, you know, I don't know, you know, no, no, I get I get what you're saying, like I don't I don't think like personally, I think like his lived experience is his lived experience, obviously, you know, that no one no one can kind of take it away, whatever it was, but I don't think that shields you from what you do for a career, right? Which is to make people really afraid that a civil war is coming, and that's what Tim Pool does. That's kind of his his entire track record uh, on YouTube. Yeah, but but here's the thing is, is uh, when you're kind of uh, belittling uh, the experiences of a, of, a, of a guy that was murdered by the cops and, and mm-hmm. trying to say, oh, Look, look, he was on drugs or criminal, criminal. If you look at the past tapes and stuff or, or um, Breonna Taylor, they, they're lying to you about it. You know, all of this stuff, it, uh, it makes you have less sympathy. You go, guy, come on, look at you, you know? So, so maybe my reaction to that, hey, look at you, uh, you know, you white guy, white guy, you know? But, um, but it is what it is, you know. You, you, you try. You're fighting for the good cause. You're fighting for for good people. So when you make enemies with with people that are really lousy people, like if you go and read the way these people talk, as followers, it's like, wow, these people are really, really disgusting and, and evil, you know. So yeah. Did you see that he made a, a response video to you after the TYT thing? No, I didn't see that one. But what? See, that's another thing. It's like uh, his fans don't. They, they don't look at the whole story what happens is i lost my cool and uh i knew like oh come on you know you lost your temper chill just mm-hmm. chill the guy quieted down just chill he got respectful after i lost my cool he was respectful the rest of the conversation we, we kept it respectful peace hugged it out boom took off he said hey come back anytime you want blah 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 so then when I left, uh, I come, I go online. And, oh, and then he wrote this really sweet tweet. Like, oh, everybody's just seeing the fight that me, the quote unquote fight where yeah. we had that moment. Nobody's, he said, Ari's a legend and nobody's posting the part when um, we hugged it out at the end. Okay, cool. You know, so I yeah, said, I yo, that. so I said, respect, peace. 
you know, I lost my temper. I got to work on that. I was wrong for that. Um, respect Luke, respect the producer, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then like a day later, he makes a response to the fight and says, uh, oh, the fight, whatever. Mm. He makes a response and says something like, clean up your room. Oh, no, he said, um, you, you, you know, Ari's a great guy. He's great. He's great. And look at his response, the apology. That's awesome. What an awesome guy. And he goes, the thing is, though, he doesn't believe that I'm, uh, uh, you know, he says the saltine word and he doesn't believe that I'm I'm uh, racially profiled. I don't know. Don't quote me exactly what he said. But yeah, yeah, then yeah. he starts saying he's racist. He's racist. He's racist. He's racist. That's the only problem. But he's a good guy. But he's racist. Like if somebody races, you're gonna be, he's a good guy. You know, you know, you know what I mean? But but um, so he starts calling me names on his his thing. And and Chank did a video, you know, and, and Sam Cedar and all of these guys, they did videos going like, damn, like. Uh, Sam Cedar, they said this guy, you know, got sunned, you know, and, and he got destroyed about police brutality because already speaking facts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Chank was like, hey, we had already in the past. Maybe we'll have him again. So I was in L.A. I said, yeah, I'll come up to the program. He's, you know, I'm not thinking like this. And so now all is, oh, you backstabbed Tim because you apologized. And then you went on the Turks. I'm like, yo. I went on Talib Kweli the day before Tim Pool. I went on Tim Pool. Two days later, I go on on, on to the Turks. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, on the Daily Caller, the, the Tucker Carson, you know, uh, thing. It was a uh, uh, a show. Really cool guys, man. It was like a lefty and a righty, and we had okay. a, a respect respectable dialogue. I forgot what their names are. I forgive me for this, but they really it was a good show. And then today, I'm on the surfs. So I, you know, I'm not. So what what is it? I'm so so going on Tim Pool and then never do a show again. That's not the same audience as Tim Pool. Like they they're just they're just living in this bubble world of non reality, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, like I'll, I'll 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 make a confession. When I first watched it, I was laughing my ass off because I just I I thought at first that Tim just didn't get it. Like I, I was like, you're not in any way trying to disparage him for his race. You're trying to explain to him, and he's not understanding this how people will perceive him as being white in society. Like people just like like I'm half indigenous, but if you looked at me, you'd be like, that's that's a white boy, right? Like I'm I'm very outwardly white. Um, so. So I, I thought that's all that was trying to take place, but it just kept accelerating to him trying to have to explain, like, this is my lived experience, which to me sounded a lot like someone who kind of grew up in, like, you know, uh, a middle uh, income, initially went to a private school, then went to a public school kind of stuff. But, like, afterwards, uh, I, like, had some time to calm down because the whole thing was such a big event on the internet, and I was thinking about it, and I was like... Maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't laugh at the the Tim Pool like lived experience part of it or whatever I did, um, and try to figure out why it is. Because you just said his fans and the people who work with him, or sorry, the people who watch him, they're not getting it either. And and I think what you're trying to explain to people is really important, right? You're you're not trying to explain to them uh, that they are lesser than because of the race or anything like that. They're trying to ex- you're trying to explain that b- society will perceive you as white and you will be treated differently because of that. The same way people are treated differently because they're black. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. They don't understand any of that because I've seen a comment on uh, where they said, uh, yeah, we all know that R.A. lived this terrible life and had this and that. And his kids died. This died. That died. The boom, boom, death and poison and poor fat. Boom, 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 boom. And and then it is. But that's you know, that's the proof that white people don't have privilege. I was like, that's. (laughs) 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 <laughs> we all know 
there are white people who have horrible lives, white people who struggled. We all understand that. We all understand that. But they, I don't know. They're stuck in this world where they, they believe that if you defend a black man or defend a black woman or defend the struggle of the black man in America, that means that white people can't have problems. And me, 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 me. They all go back to me, 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 me. You know, it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. I've been through the struggle. You've been through. We got that. But it's a different struggle. And it's not because of the color of your skin that struggle. You're mm-hmm. not, you know, it, 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 it's a totally different struggle. It's something different. So if we're trying, like, like I said before, if somebody has lung cancer, we're not going to address somebody's uh, cut finger at the, okay, you know, uh, um, we're not going to be like, oh, his cut finger is worse than cancer. We're not talking about that right now. We'll put a big, little Band-Aid on it for you. Cool. And let's let's fix this cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah, you can you can be oppressed for so many things as a white person. Like you can be oppressed by being poor, or you can be oppressed by being like a gay white person, or whatever. But just one of the things you're not oppressed for is your race, broadly speaking, white. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, have you like? Are, are, is it going to continue? Do you think is this feud? Uh, are you going to respond to the response, or are you just kind of like uh, I'm just going to let it be, uh, not not think about it, move on? Well, I've, I've moved on, you know, but right now it's a hot topic for the Internet. So, like, when mm-hmm. I do an interview, somebody's going to go, hey, what happened with the pool thing? You know, right. so you go, OK, boom, boom, boom. So you discuss it. You know, I I don't even have a response. I didn't, I didn't even look at the video he made. You know, I, I saw the first one uh, before the Turks and then he made like a couple after the Turks, I guess, because people, hey, did you, I, didn't, I didn't see them yet. Like, I'm not like, let me see what what he's saying. But like, you know, at this point, it's like, well, you know. I'm, I'm pretty confident he's not going to be trying to say good things about me. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't care. It doesn't affect my life. You know, I have, I have a life and uh, internet drama isn't, isn't, uh, isn't really something that I care about, you know? So. How's the backlash been in terms of, like you said, you're getting quite a bit of uh, people from like the far right mad at you for, for what happened. Is is that pretty much the yeah. biggest is, are they the biggest yeah. group that are going but, after you now? But even that, you know, you get some jerks going, you know, calling you names on the mm. internet. You know, some jerks like, oh, and calling you racist things and saying horrible things and death threats. You know, it's it's little internet trolls. You, you know, it's not a it's not a real life situation. You know, I'm good. But mm-hmm. so. sorry, just one last question about the Daily Caller thing. Were they interested in talking to you about like this issue, like the issue of like race and stuff like that, or was it just bring you on because uh, you know you're hot on the internet right now? Well, the, the one guy inboxed me, and uh, I sent it to you too. I said, "Yo, is this uh, are these guys going to try to set me up?" And, and then <laughs> well, right away, I was like, "That's Tucker Carlson's outfit," just so you know. They <laughs> were like, "Yeah, they might," you know. And then at some point, I said, "You know what?" what, what are they going to set me up? Like, what, what are you going to say? Mean things to me? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm frozen. I'm going to I'm going to try to look what the interviews called real quick because uh, they were nice guys. So I'm, I'm just trying to look that up real quick. But uh, where is it? Here, let me see. Give me one second. Right. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm just trying to see what the show was called. It was called. Uh, ah, Jesus, give me a second. How media echo chambers are destroying America. Guest Ari, the rugged man. The show is called Save the Nation, episode 77. And the host is Vince and Jason. 
let me see if I, I as a commercial on. But yeah, you get the idea. You could go look it up. But it was a good interview, and it was about uh, tons of topics. It was about a uh, you know a whole whole bunch of topics from everything from boxing to movies to uh, yeah Vince Cogli Coglian Coglianese and J- Jason Nichols. Those are the two hosts. Yeah, I had a good time on that one. Yeah. Cool. Is this boring? Is this boring? We should do something fun. If it's Twitch, isn't Twitch like video games and and, and strippers and wild? <laughs> wild stuff? It's it's mostly strippers now. It's it's like ninety nine percent strippers. That's all of Twitch. Uh, Twitch is like it's it's video games and it's just people yelling at each other. It's it's a lot of that. It's a, it's a lot of angry people yelling at each other now. Yelling at each other. We're boring. Should I start yelling? I can't see your face, so I can't yell at you. <laughs> It's true. Just just start calling me names. Um, I guess uh, what a, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is that um, are are you? I know obviously you've always been somewhat political, despite the nature of the fact that you are a poet and a musician and that kind of stuff, right? So there's going to be that element. Um, are are you now? Do you think getting pulled into this kind of online world of politics uh, because of what happened? Uh, and is that something that you'd want to explore? No, I've always been there. I've always got calls from the political sites. I've, you know, from my life experiences and the things I've been through and the stuff I talk about, you know, I always get the same, same, you know, it's not like all of a sudden I I had a fight or or like a argument with a YouTuber. So now I'm going to change everything and be putting on my life is exactly the same. Exactly. And, And my song lyrics are exactly what I write. You know, it's not a. It didn't change a damn thing, you know. So, can I can I ask you two questions from the chat? Because people have been asking me to ask you some questions. Of course, you could ask. You. I'm, I'm, you know, you set this up, and uh, I'm here for you. So you got me. Thank yeah. you. Uh, one of the first ones I think is going to be controversial. But what do you think of Jimmy Dore? Well, it's, I don't think it's controversial. I think that's an honest one. You know, I was a fan of Dorf for years. You know, yeah. I, I met him in 2016 briefly at uh, at the Young Turks when he was still there. And uh, Jill Stein was speaking. And so I went up to see Jill Stein speak and uh, say what up to everybody. And um, and I started following him and checking him out. And I liked a lot of the stuff he talks about. And I know... Uh, I know it's controversial, uh, but I believe Aaron Matei and 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 uh, Jimmy's work on RussiaGate. I, I think it's official. I, I really I, I agree with them more than most on that. I believe that it was uh, a political scam, you know. And uh, a lot of people on the left are going to disagree with me on that. But like I believe RussiaGate was this big hoax that was presented to to act like the election was this big stolen event. But if you dig into it, it's like some Facebook ads from somebody. It's not a Russian government. It's just like so. And then they blew it up. And, and you know, and, and the steel dossier was uh, funded by, you know, who was funded that? You know, uh, of, well, I was going to say of all the things you could agree with Aaron Matei on, that one is probably going to be one of the least controversial. I think it would, I think it's Libs who would be mad at you for saying that, not so much the left. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there's things that I agree with Jimmy on. I followed his uh, Russia Gate uh, reporting and Aaron Matei's reporting a lot. And also Aaron Matei. Uh, interviewed Lindsay Snell, who I told you about, who's a good friend, the one that I uh, introduced to Luke. She's the one that was kidnapped by Al-Qaeda and uh, thrown in a Turkish uh, prison. And, and they said that she was the CIA. 
and uh, she had a tough time, but she's free and she's back doing journalism. And uh, Aaron Mate interviewed her, and yeah, so so I kind of I'm a fan of what they do, but I don't like the 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 video he made, you know, with look Kyle Kyle Rittenhouse and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I kind of thought like, come on, Jimmy, where are you going these days, you know? So you know, but that's the thing with politics is you're allowed to be like you're allowed to disagree with people on stuff, you know? You're allowed True. to, you know? True. You know, I don't think I don't think that Jimmy. But, you know, I don't know him personally, but I don't think Jimmy's the type to, like, start pushing uh, the reason why certain murders of black men are reasonable and accurate and, and correct. But um, I don't know. He, you know, he kind of was, you know, he was he was should, the Kyle, the Kyle Rittenhouse video he made. He was trying to show, like, look, this is how it really went down. But he was also leaving out a couple points here and there. So, you know, but everything's up for debate. You know, it's it's the thing is when when everything, every topic you promote, like what I was talking about, the Tim Pool thing on other shows, like what, what kind of got me a little crazy was like, um, you know, pro blackness, black power is wrong. Kwanzaa's terrible. CRT's terrible. Derek Chauvin's nice. You know, uh, Breonna Taylor, they, they left lying to you about it. You know, um uh, Ahmad uh, Aubrey, they, they grabbed the gun and he was, you know, uh, and and I also believe that because him and Luke tried to tell me that the other guy went to prison just for filming and I have to look into it more. Oh, in the uh, report, he was trying to block him with his truck, apparently. Yeah, that's that. See, but they didn't tell me this. Supposedly the journalists, but they said, so you're OK with him going to jail just for filming. So mm-hmm. I'm there going like that's really what with that. They just filming, you know, because, I, I, you know, uh I'm looking at Luke like, okay, these guys, you know, I, I wasn't up on that. But, like, why are you going to leave out the fact that, no, people say, no, he was blocking the guy. And, and, you know, there's more to it than that. So, but I'm not, you know, so when every single thing piles up in a favor against certain people, you can start going, come on, guys. Jimmy, to me, isn't at that point yet. Uh, but there's a couple of videos that I disagree with, you know, so. Other question, uh, have you gotten involved in any political controversies before the Tim Pool event? Oh, yeah. My whole career is a <laughs> effing controversy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One time, you know, in the beginning, I called uh, Obama used car salesman. Everybody got mad at me, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's always been. It's always been. Yeah, because I kind of just say what's in my head, you know. I say what's on my mind and, and I don't, I don't do PR management, I just, or P, PR school, you know, I just kind of, blup, 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 this is how I feel. And then, you know, the whole half, half the world gets mad at me, you know, so, yeah. Uh, and then the last question, will you do a hot tub stream on Twitch? What does that mean, me in a hot tub with some chicks or something? Uh, it could be that, it could be just you, it could be whatever you want, but it's uh, you in a hot tub in your room kind of thing. Do people usually do that? Is that what okay, so there's this thing on Twitch where you can't be in a bathing suit unless you're technically in a pool or a hot tub. So people started putting kiddie pools in their rooms so they could stream in bathing suits or be shirtless. And then it was a way of getting around the rules. And so it just became a, a thing. So now it's called hot tub streaming. It's so bizarre. <laughs> um, you know, put me on an old man page because, you know, the young kids got to figure that stuff out. Like, I, I don't understand anything, man. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's what the kids call being a boomer, right? But, but uh, uh, 
Yeah, I'm just confused. So, they, but they're allowed in a bathing suit if they're in a tub or something. Is that it? Yeah. So, but if so, there's so if so tech. So okay. So well, the rules get really weird. Okay. So technically, you can't be shirtless uh, if you're a woman or if you're female presenting. You can only be shirtless if you're man or male presenting, and you can't be shirtless unless you're technically in a pool or a hot tub. And so again, people started making kiddie pools in their bedrooms so they could be shirtless on their streams and stuff like that, and and it's allowed. So women are allowed topless? No, they're not. Oh, just the men if they're in a tub. So what yep. can the women do in a tub? They can be in bikinis, but they couldn't do that normally if they're not in they the hot can't. tub. Well, what if they're on a the beach? They can't stream from the I beach. I think they're the allowed beach. to do it on the beach. There's like some exceptions. They've got they've got weird rules for that. Or what art. Or art. They can get they can they can be painted naked, but they can't show uh, nipples or or vagine. So bizarre. Yeah, yeah. We live in a weird I was world. Glad- uh, when OnlyFans, remember they tried to take take the na- nudity off of OnlyFans? Oh, that was ridiculous. I, was so, I don't <laughs> even do OnlyFans, but I felt so bad for so many women. I know so many women that get paid from that and do make good money off of it. Oh, yes. I, like, I, I th- yeah, I was going to say sex workers are the ones that made that company. Like what would OnlyFans yeah. be without sex workers? You know? Exactly. Well, that's my issue with, you know, this is something that, you know, the pool – group and all of them would agree on is that that was my problem with youtube was that uh you know uh they built their backs on every everybody allowed to have an opinion you know mm-hmm. and it became one of the biggest companies in the world off of just letting the public talk mm-hmm. so then when they start kind of like strikes and taking people down for certain opinions i started going you know that's a little funny style so so i'm on their side about that one issue you know so um everyone by the way loved your uh your answer to the hot tub question. <laughs> so that's oh, that's good. Bullet old MC from. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, RA. I honestly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Pay the surfs uh, to get me like some uh, some some internet lessons or something. Give him some tips, and, and he'll uh, pay somebody to train me and Twitch and all the. Oh, oh, what you young kids are doing, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll help you get set up on Twitch if you want. That's that's easily the way I could repay you for all this. I don't even know what I would do on it yet. Uh, like I said, I tried. I, I'd like to screen movies and stuff, but you can't even do that, right? Yeah, you can. You just have to do them through Amazon Prime because uh, Amazon owns Twitch. But you could – there's also a huge music scene. Like there's a lot of like MCs who just do like live shows and stuff on Twitch too. No, I would rather do like, you know, mystery science theater type of shit where me and my, my friends uh, just talk about movies that nobody ever seen before. Hell yeah. I'd like to do that. You could do it for movies uh, that don't have copyright too. Like the copyright expires, like, you know, Night of the Living Dead and movies like that. <laughs> yeah, you name the most famous one that everybody does, you know, Night yeah. of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad George Romero because of that, you know. Imagine making like the most famous zombie film in the history of the world yeah and one little thing you did wrong with the copyright and you know he i mean he would have been a hundred two hundred three hundred millionaire you know he would have been worth so much money and his one screw up in life man so rest in peace george romero he was a legend and one of the greats but agreed that's a story yeah but uh yeah all right so awesome uh ra honestly i cannot thank you enough that was uh fucking amazing to finally talk to you uh like I'm in in Germany and I was up early early in the morning so I'm a little tired so if uh, if I seem like I lost energy uh, next time I'll be naked in a hot tub (laughs) uh, 
<laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, where can everyone find your stuff and, and, and support you and, and give you the monies? You tell them. You tell them where to go. Go everywhere. R.A. the Rugged Man. Just, just. Uh, so all, all you Zoomers, wherever you get your music, you know, on the uh, the interwebs, everywhere music is sold. Uh, R.A. the Rugged Man dot net. Uh, go buy some merch. Go buy some vinyls. Uh, buy some vinyls and and listen to it on vinyl because that's the way it's meant to be. Meant to be listened to. Am I right? Yeah. Exactly. Well. Well. No. If you don't have a record player, just you know. But uh, <laughs> drawing is awesome on it. But but yeah, so All My Heroes Are Dead is the latest project, and I'm very, very, very proud of it. I put a lot into it. So yeah, everybody, I hope the audience was uh, had a good time, and uh, I'll get the hang of this Twitch thing soon, all right? Yeah, reach out. I'll, I'll help you set up your, uh, your Mystery Science Theater show. <laughs> all right, peace, man. All right, bye. That was awesome. Finally spoke to R.A. the Rugged Man. That was fun. Your room. Oh, and, and good news, everyone. The show just started. Okay. Uh, I got to give a lot of thank yous uh, for all the all the donos and things that were popping in at the most inappropriate time. Can can I add? At the most... In- Saki Tanuki, at the most inappropriate time. <laughs> that was... I, I can't remember what we were talking about. Then all of a sudden, it's like, clean up your room. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the timing was kind of... Was kind of funny, but you know there was that. All right, let me try and turn. I tried to disable donations, but I'm going to try and turn them back on now so they they pop up. Uh, oh, thanks, No Rain. Everyone, go check out No Rain's channel. Response and says something like, "Clean up your room." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! That's too perfect. <laughs> Response and says something like, "Clean up your room." Oh. No, he said, um, "Response." <laughs> No. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta download that one. When the dono hits just right, you know. So you've just been listening to an episode of the Surf Times, and if you enjoy it and want to see the Surf Times, you can go to wearesurfs.com or watch the live shows at thesurfs.tv. And also, everywhere social media is sold, basically thesurfs.tv. You'll find us there. Twitter.com/slash/thesurfstv, for example. It would also help us out tremendously if you could leave a good review of this podcast if you enjoyed it, either on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever you're podcasting. Apparently it does help, and yeah, we hope to see you soon. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we beseech thee to smite down our enemies. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are but your humble court jesters here to amuse you. To our lords, Trevor R., we give thanks for this spit of land for us to eke out this meager existence. To our knights, Merid, Cheryl Alvarez, Ruby Kelly, Ellie Leslie, Alex P., Brandon, Words Greenwood, Nate, That One Guy, Hagbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariane McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Coulter Smith, Val 9000, Jenna Tall, Quiet 185, Anna Loves Riley, Omni, Riley and Anna, Poodlehawk, The Tim Caucus, Multi Mondi, Trevor Yanis, Lemmy 101, Anthropophojack, CERN 42, Catherine, Radical Maniac, Ramon Acosta, Nkosin, Violet Orchard, Sophie Baby, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Josh Mickelson, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We raise our flag in a veil, and we salute you, our friends.